Now, this morning, we will continue in the book of Mark. This year, the entire year, we are focusing on the book of Mark because we want to come back to refocus on discipleship, on following Jesus. Last year has been a pandemic. Last year has been a year of faith, stretching out and believing in God. But this year, let us focus on following Jesus once again. And that's why we focus on the book of Mark, a book about following Jesus, the awesome God, the true and mighty God, the servant king. And this morning, I'm very glad to have a very, uh, 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 our own pastor here in First Assembly. He grew up in this church. He ministered in this church. He became a pastor in this church. And I'm very glad that as he uh, gave his life for full-time ministry in this church, God has used him mightily with a humble heart, single, available. Yes, single <laughs> and available. But I believe that he's dedicated his life to the work of the ministry. Today, he'll be bringing us the Word of God. So wherever you are, I want you to give a huge and big welcome to Pastor Nick Lim. All right. Good morning, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It is truly an honor to be here to share with you, all of you, this morning. Now, it's just like what Pastor might have mentioned. You know, most of the time, we've been staying at home. We've been attending service at home. And it's always good. You know, we always say it's good to be in the house of God. And today, I'm pretty sure it's also good for us to be in the presence of the Lord. How many of you believe that the Lord's presence is now in your midst? If you think that the Lord's presence is in your midst, in your home, whether you're driving or whether you are at home or even at your office, type an amen in the chat box. Now, uh, today, Pastor Mike uh, has given me the opportunity to preach to all of you and it's truly an honor. And uh, since, you know, we have been doing online service all the time. I love how Pastor Mike handles his online services. You know, he always asks you all to type in the chat. I always found that, you know, the chat box in the English service has always been lively. And I hope that you will maintain that. And uh, since I'm a person that loves interaction, I will ask you to do the same. You know, from time to time, I'll ask you to type in this, type in that, so that, you know, when I revisit the message uh, later on today or tomorrow, and I'll be able to see how many of you participate. Now, it will be encouraging to me uh, to see that, you know, how many of you are listening online. But more importantly, I just want you all to have the sense of feel that, you know, that in a sermon, it's not always the preacher that preaches, you know, even the listener have to listen and to interact with it. So therefore, in order to uh, make me less lonely, still, since Pastor Mike, you know, I have emphasized that I'm single and available, can I ask all of you to type in uh, and, to, uh, and to say, I'm ready to hear the word of God. Okay, I have all of you again, you know, type in the chat box, I am ready to hear the word of God. I may take some time for you to type in such long, huh? okay, doesn't matter, I'll wait for you. Huh? Pretty sure all of you are ready. If you're ready, so am I, great. Now today I'm going to share with you something that might challenge some of your value system. And I hope that you are prepared. 
Because the title of my message uh, today is called Greatness Redefined. What it means to be great in the eyes of God. Can I again ask you to type in uh, the, the word greatness redefined in the chat box? Greatness redefined. Now, as just Pastor Mike had mentioned, you know, today's sermon is the continuation on the sermon series on the book of Mark. And the passage that we are looking today is from Mark chapter 9, verse 30 to 50. I repeat, Mark chapter 9, verse 30 to 50. And I'm going to read to you in the English Standard Version, ESV Version. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. He said to them, If anyone would be first, they must be last of all servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arm, he said to them, Whoever receives this one, such child in my name, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it will be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire does not quench. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourself and be peace with one another. Now from the long passage that we have just read, you know, 20 verses. You know, we read here in the beginning of the passage, Jesus is preparing his disciple once again about his upcoming death 
and his resurrection. Now, if you hear what Jesus said, this will be definitely shocking. Yet, we see Mark recorded that the disciple cannot bring themselves to ask Jesus what he meant. Maybe they were afraid. Maybe they were confused. Now, when I say shock, I noticed, I, I, I felt that, you know, when Jesus said that he's going to die and resurrect, that is what shocked me, isn't it? That is what shocked you too. But what shocked me even was when, Mark, when, when the disciples did not understand what Jesus meant, they eventually, rather than to ask Jesus what it means, for when he said of his death and his resurrection, they were more interested in other matters and that they were discussing among them who was the greatest among them. It is as if they are, going to, they are discussing, you know, who is going to be the next head of the group or the one or maybe even the one succeeding Jesus after this. Now we ought to understand this. You know, when you, we read this, you know, we felt, wow, the disciples are very weak. And they are, you know, filled with flaws. And the author of the Gospel of Mark tends to depict this so that he wants to show us that the disciples are very much like us too, very humanly. Most of the time, they do not understand what Jesus meant in his parable. Filled with flaws. And here Mark is showing another flaw that the disciple possesses and that they are self-promoting themselves to show who is the greatest. While you think that the disciple, you know, are filled with flaws, you know, how can they behave like that? You know, they should be holy, holy and whatnot. You have to understand, back in the Greco-Roman society, or back in their culture, Self-promoting is something normal. It's very normal. Not almost everyone will be self-promoting themselves for what they have done. Now, while this is a norm, something very acceptable in the society, Jesus had a different view, a different idea with regards to the idea of being great. And this brings to one of my points. There is a difference between God's value worldly values. It is not hard to see that God's value have always, you know, always been in conflict with the world value system. You know, the world taught us to climb up the corporate ladder and to make yourself great before your boss so that people will respect you, so that you will gain, you know, a reputation. Now, being in the corporate world myself previously, I too have seen many people climbing the corporate ladder and most of the time they are always self-promoting themselves before the boss, hoping, you know, to be able to get that promotion. Now I'm sure, especially those of you in the corporate field, who have agreed or even seen uh, some of your corporate leaders or some of your corporate heads, you know, busy claiming credit to themselves so that they will be recognized before the boss. Now, do not get me wrong, I'm not judging all of you corporate leaders or even heads of departments. 
And I think there's nothing wrong claiming credits for what you have done. In fact, you have done a great hard work. You know, they have done hard work in order to, to do, to make, the, uh, to make the project a successful one. But what is wrong here, it's when we are too obsessed with power and the goal of climbing the corporate ladder, till a point, we claim credits for the works that we do not do. And after hearing all this, if I were to summarize it in a sentence, it means that the world has the idea that to be great means that you should be at the top of the chain. You should be right up top. But Jesus, on the other hand, challenges the disciple to view the idea of being great differently. Now type in at the chat box, viewing great differently. Again, viewing great differently. In the eyes of God, Jesus challenges the disciple that in order for you to be the first, you and I, I emphasize this, must, okay? Let me emphasize it again. We must be the last. And it means, what it means to be the last is that we should be at the bottom of the chain, the last of the chain, serving everyone before us. And this is exactly the direct opposite of what the world have advocated. In fact, there is more. Now just look at what happened afterwards. Jesus welcomed the, and received the children. And then furthermore states that, you know, receiving the children is equivalent to receiving God himself. Now when you were reading this, sometimes you would think, what does this got to do with the idea of greatness? Or what does this got to do with what he have just shared earlier? Is this a start of another account, or another story? Now, there is correlation here. The children here is to, in order to understand why Jesus used the children, we have to first understand the culture back then. Now, back then, uh, the children are considered insignificant in the society. This is to say, you know, the words of the children are nothing but air. You know? They're just nothing. Uh, you know, they may say, but you know, no one will recognize what they say. No one cares for what they say. And therefore, the children are weak and powerless. And no one respects children. But Jesus here purposely used them to challenge the worldviews or to challenge the world values. He is trying to tell the disciples that not only we should serve those that are in power, we should also treat and serve those that are weak and insignificant. Something that this world does not advocate. Now, and to sum up what I have just said, this concludes my first point. To be great, we are called to serve all. I repeat, to be great, we are called to serve all. And after Jesus has done it, all right, okay, I'm telling you, this is the definition of being great. And how should they receive them? Then suddenly come the account where John informed, you know, Jesus, Jesus, there is these people, uh, 
casting out demons in your name. And he bravely told Jesus, you know what? I stopped them. You know? I stopped them. Now, but the, the, the thing that when we see after John has said this, we saw Jesus rebuke John. You know why? You know, sometimes we might think, you no, know, why did Jesus rebuke John? Even earlier, you know, in the beginning when I read this, you know, I also felt, no, it's not fair. What? No, I think John did the right thing. Right? Didn't John do the right thing? John is only defending the faith, ma, so that, no, people won't go around teach the wrong thing. Besides, you know, most often it is how cult happens. What? Now, while we think that it's the manner, is that really what John meant? In order to see that, let's just see what John's reasoning was. You know, in verse 38, John said to Jesus, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Now, John did not mention that the man was teaching something wrong or even, you know, I think uh, the person teach with a wrong motive. But yet, his reasoning to Jesus is just because that man wasn't following them. Didn't this reason show to us that, you know, the disciples was actually to achieve, in technical, what we call institutional exclusivity. You know, I know it's a big word. But in short, in layman's term, it means, you know, they want to have an exclusive club for themselves. You know, they want to have VIP access. You know, they want to be recognized. You know, I'm Jesus VIP. Right? And Jesus, actually, when he rebuked him, he is rebuking John and the disciples of their wrong mindset. In fact, you know, Jesus didn't stop at rebuking them. Jesus also took the same opportunity to teach the disciple what it means to be great. And this is found in verse 39 to 40. Here it states, But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. And this leads me to my second point. To be great, we should not exclude others, but to include them. I repeat, to be great, we should not exclude others, but to include them. The greatness advocated by the world, you know, it's often seen to be exclusive. And in fact, most of the leaders, uh, you know, those big shots, you know, they are always claiming credits to themselves. And to be honest, you know, sometimes you met this boss, uh, oh, lawe, right? You, you have to be Christian, uh, but you know, in the back, inside of you, uh, you tend to despise them, you, you hate them, you know, it's like, Oh, this boss uh, uh, always know how to ask me what, 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 what. Uh. But uh, when it comes to claiming credit, uh, he will say he did all the work, uh, how, how busy he is. Uh. Whereas uh, it is us, uh, the employees, uh, the staff uh, that is working. Uh, all of that, you know, just to, to give him that report. 
so that he can please the boss. And we love those bosses that is humble and always praising his team, you know, giving his team credits rather than claiming to himself. Why do we love that? It's because we feel that that boss, it's a great boss, isn't it? I have the privilege to work with many bosses, you know, directors, head of departments, reporting to the CEO. And some of these boss, you know, they, that I've worked with, they never claim credit to themselves when they report to the bigger boss. They will always say, you know, oh, thanks to my team, we are able to get this out on time. And we love this kind of boss. And we felt that these are great people, great leaders. And this is what Jesus meant. You know, we should always recognize others that have contributed. And in this case, we saw the man, you know, casting out demons in Jesus' name contributed to the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Just look at the man who have performed the miracles. Now, if the person is serving with a bad motive or even wanted to make a name for himself, I'm pretty sure the man would not be able to perform any miracles if he had done with a wrong motive. And if though the man wants to make a name for himself, right, then I would have think John would be able to point out the name of the man when he tells Jesus, Jesus, there's this name by the name of Daniel Newton, you know, have been chasing out demons in your name. Uh, why will he use that name? Because the, that name is famous enough. Uh, Daniel Newton is famous enough, you know, he has been making a name for himself. But he did not make a... Here, we did not see any names that were stated. And this shows that the man was doing it secretly. He was selflessly serving without wanting any recognition. And we see, although he did not ask for any recognition, Jesus, the Lord of the heavens and the earth, himself acknowledges him as one of his own. So my brothers and sisters, you know, just a side note, if you ever work yourself so hard in the company and you recognize that no one saw your work, you know, just because you know, the work you, you do are kitchy mail work, you know, works that may not be significant, I want to assure you that Jesus, our God, saw that. And he knows whatever work that you have rendered to him. Even the least of it, the ushers that serve, you know, week in, week out, just to welcome people. Most of the time, even now, even worse, you know, we have to wear our mask. You know, sometimes they don't even know who you are. And still, God acknowledges that and calls you of His own. While the world treasure great and huge achievements, do you know that our God, the God of all, the mighty God, celebrates 
even the slightest act of kindness. Now you may ask, you know, how you know? Simple, though, because the next verse tells us, though, in verse 41, it says, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And that shows that, you know, whatever slightest act you have done unto God, I want you to know, God knows it and he acknowledges that. Now, so you have heard me stating the two pointers. So what are some next steps that we should take in order to follow Christ's value? Now, here are three pointers that I have for you. Now, the first step. Be assured that God is watching over you. I repeat, be assured that God is watching over you. In fact, Jesus further explained in verse 42 that when you say, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it will be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now when we read this, you know, we were saying, oh, that's, that's a warning that Jesus gave. And it, you're right. But if we watch carefully, we also now see that God is saying that he is watching over his people and should any one of us were wrong, God will vindicate us. Following Christ's value, it's going to be a challenge. I'm going to be dead honest with you. All right. Sometimes you don't follow the value of Christ. You know, we have brought us so much more inconveniences. Where others, you know, just like you know, self-promoting is a norm in the Greco-Roman society. But Jesus pressed the disciples and asked them to follow his value instead. You know, there will be people when you change your value and to follow Christ's value, there will be people challenging you. There will be people tempting you to follow their way too. But God here assures us that He's watching. And that's why I felt God is good. You know, if you ever felt, you know, when I mentioned, you know, what are some steps you should take, and I say, you know, be assured that God is watching over you, you may feel a bit odd. And if you feel odd, I want to assure you, you feel it right. Because that is not a step that we are taking, isn't it? What are the steps? There is nothing. And that is why God is good. Because the first step itself, it's already a work of His own. And not ours. He just did us to first trust in Him. And the scripture that we have just read earlier assures us that nothing will be hidden from His eyes. And whatever wrong that is done to us, he will vindicate. You know, I especially love a quote by Robert H. Hein, uh, uh, Robert H. Stein. When he states this, uh, when he sums up this uh, scripture, he states, As great as the reward is for even so small an act of kindness as giving a believer a cup of water, equally great is the punishment for an act causing a believer to stumble. 
God celebrates the slightest act of kindness. But he too watches over his people. That even a slightest act that causes a believer to stumble, he will vindicate. Now just imagine when Jesus say, no, the person should hung a millstone around his neck and be thrown into the sea. When we read this, there's no way the person will survive, isn't it? And that is how serious of a tone that the Lord is sending. That is how serious when Jesus said this and to send a warning. Now, while I do say that, you know, these verses encourages us to know that God is watching over you and me, but the same encouragement also serves as a warning to us so that we will carefully conduct ourselves. And this leads me to my second step. And that is we are to constantly check ourselves. We are to constantly check ourselves. And that is why later on, when he point out the next few verses that about the hand, the foot, and the eyes. What the Lord is trying to show here is that, you know, while external pressure can be a factor for us to fall, we should also be aware of our own conduct because it is mostly our internal temptation that will cause us to sin. And Jesus takes a great length in explaining the three areas that we are most likely to be tempted. And that is in the parable of the hand, the foot, and the eyes. Now, I'm not going to read through with you all the, all the scriptures there, but you know, the three areas are easily explained in the following. You know, the hand. The hand is a human basic instrument in accomplishing one's purpose. Uh, this is to say, we ought to be careful before we make any act. And if you know there is any act that will likely to cause you to sin, Jesus asks you to better cut it off first. You need to say you should not act on it. It's better you not to act and you know to be scolded or to receive a certain form of punishment rather than you sin before God. Then we have the food. You know, the food is our means of uh, transport and we are advised here to watch where we are going. Places that will cause us to sin are places that we should all the more avoid. If your food are tempted to go to these places of sin, before you go to these places, Jesus said, let's type it in, in the chat group. It's better to cut it off. I repeat again, let's type in the chat group. It's better to cut it off. Then lastly, for the eyes. You know, the eyes are the organs where we see and perceive things. It is where temptation to commit sin enters. If our eyes choose to see things that will cause us to sin, Jesus said what? 
What did Jesus say? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know you are tempted to write, cut it off, right? No, it's not cut it off, people. But he said that. Let's type it together in the chat box. It is better to tear it off. It is better to tear it off. Now, the metaphor above seems very shocking. Another shocking. So, as much as it is shocking to all of us to hear this metaphor being used by the Lord to cut it off, to tear it off, my brothers and sisters, let us not downplay these metaphors to merely metaphors, but to take this word into all seriousness. You know, Jesus wasn't playing a fool when he said this. The graphical expression is worded in such a way that you and I will remember this and to take it seriously. In fact, Jesus continued to warn the disciple by saying that everyone will go through judgment. This is stated in verse 49 when he said, For everyone will be salted with fire. Now, when we say, wow, we will be salted with fire, does that mean we are going to be burned in hell also? We have to go through the fire of hell before we go into heaven? You know, that's why I felt, you know, whatever Jesus said, uh, or whatever the author chose to write, you know, the, all of them has the wisdom of God. And if you notice well enough in reading your Bible, you will realize a lot of times, when you read the same scripture, it has multiple levels of meaning in it. There is death in a single phrase like this. The first impression we have when we read the word, for everyone will be sorted with fire, the first impression we have is that, wow, high chances is that I'm going to be, uh, I'll have to go through the fire of hell. But as scary as it is, Jesus also uses the same phrase to encourage the believers. Now you may ask, why would I say so, right? Now while the fire is used to punish the wicked, do you all know the same fire also purifies the righteous? It is stated in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, where it states, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offering, you shall offer salt. As we are offered up as a living sacrifice before the Lord on the altar, we are all salted with the salt of the covenant. Thus, making us to be a pleasing sacrifice unto the Lord. But there is condition, my brothers and sisters. Doesn't, it doesn't mean just because you're a Christian, we will not fall, we will not sin. And that is why Jesus warned the believers, the disciples, to carefully carry our own conduct. 
to take sin into all seriousness and to know that the consequences of sin is real. And in order to avoid that, we should ensure our life is always inconsistent with the will of God, with the instruction that the Lord has given to you and I. While we are supposed to carefully conduct our beings, we are also encouraged, we are also exhort, uh, Jesus also exhorts us to remain committed to our calling. And this leads me to my last step, that we are to be committed to our calling. When Jesus said that salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Here, Jesus is implying that we, as his disciples, should always be cautioned enough not to lose our flavors. I repeat, we are cautioned not to lose our flavors. And Jesus said, why? What's the why? It's because if we do, there is nothing you and I can do in order to regain that saltiness. There is no way if a salt loses saltiness. But if you do, there is also no way you can regain back that saltiness. And to best express this, uh, this point, do allow me to use the example of the life of Ravi Zacharias, the apologist. Now, I'm assuming here that most of us, you know, uh, the scandal that uh, Ravi Zacharias was exposed unto the world, where the scandal of this apologies, which is thought to be one of the greatest defenders of the Christian faith, was exposed after his death. Now, I'm, to be honest, you know, I've always loved Ravi Zacharias. Uh, talks and ideas and even, you know, when he defended the Christian faith, he does it so well. And I must acknowledge, you know, he does a great deal of learning, great deal of reading in order to achieve this level. In fact, one of my professors in Bible school is one of his staff. And then following the professor learning apologetics under him, you know, I also felt, you know, wow, these are the, the great influence that this man has given unto a lot of people. And a lot of people's lives were changed because their life, you know, uh, have changed from their previous religion now to the Christian faith. Now, but when the scandal was exposed, no matter how much Ravi Zacharias had accomplished in the past, all of his works 
eventually rendered into nothing. A lot more lives were, you know, they feel so disappointed when they heard this scandal. How could this great defenders of the Christian faith had scandal? I couldn't believe it myself in the beginning too. And if we were to ask why we were disappointed, if you reflect on it, you would have agreed with me because you felt that he is not consistent in his word. It's much more like a hypocrite when he preaches one thing and does the other. Ravi has lost his saltiness. His saltiness in which he can never recover. While it is always great to have started strong, but what matters even more is whether we can end well too. Jesus here is challenging his disciples to remain committed to our call as the salt unto the world. Not only are we are called to be salt unto the world, we are also encouraged not to lose our flavors all the way to the end. Just look at the life of Mother Teresa. In fact, I think if I were to sum up, the life of Mother Teresa truly encapsulates my message today. Because here is someone that is selflessly looking after the insignificant, constantly keeping herself in check, and she remained committed to her calling without being swayed all the way to the end of her life. And today, this humble woman, it's honored by many of the great leaders and presidents of the world for her act, for her attitude, and for her commitment. And to me, this is the true definition of being great. In conclusion, Jesus in his passage, in this passage, reverses the values of this world and challenges his disciples, his followers, to follow after his values, to constantly keep ourselves in check and to take drastic action so that we do not fall into temptation. But in all, we are also asked to remain faithful to the call that he has made. And that is to be a servant to all. In return, he promises us this when he states that whatever challenges or whatever wrongs that were hurled unto us, He will vindicate us. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, let us not be afraid of the challenges ahead before you for following Christ's value. And let us all follow Him faithfully. Though today, many of you, or maybe some of us, 
are insulted or even mocked for our value system. In fact, some of us, you know, recently you read news, some of them were threatened for the bravery in standing for what is right. Now, may I encourage you to stay strong and let's continue this fight. Yes, my brothers and sisters, I'm encouraging you to stay strong and stay on this fight, knowing that God is watching over us and nothing escapes from his eyes. We believe he will be our vindication. Amen. Or maybe some of you here could be just like the Apostle John. You're currently feeling guilty and ashamed for your lack of understanding. Maybe you too were once like John, thinking that, you know, it is okay to follow after this value of the world since it's a norm that the world is advocating. But just like how John has changed, may I encourage you that even though John in this passage may look foolish enough to, say, to shame himself, John did not give up Jesus for his correction, but to take Jesus' words in all seriousness and had made the change. Let today's message be a reminder for all of us that we too are like the disciples and that we are weak. Now while we are weak, we should not always remain in our weaknesses. But just like what Jesus has pointed out, we should identify the areas that we need to fix and to take drastic action to change it even if it means to lose something. Remember the parable of the hand, the foot, and the eyes. There are prices to be paid. But it is better for you to lose that something rather than to lose your life, which is the precious of it all. Let us not all look at the temporal gains that we have, but instead be hopeful of the eternal rewards that awaits us. Now, I know it's a long passage. Most of you are overwhelmed with the two pointers and three steps to take. But may I encourage you, if you cannot even remember anything that I've just said, at least remember this verse where he, Jesus himself defined the meaning of greatness in Mark chapter 9, verse 35, where he says, Anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. As I would like to close my message for this morning, allow me to use this song entitled Heart of a Servant. You know, as I was uh, looking through songs uh, for us to respond, I purposely picked this song, not because only for the title, 
But because of the words, the lyrics that the author chose to write in. And amazingly, both in the English, the original Bahasa Indonesia version, and even the Chinese version has variation. You know, the lyrics aren't exactly the same. But the best part is that how they both have, the both English and Malay have different meanings. May I encourage you to look through the lyrics intentionally and to see for yourself what the both lyricists has put into uh, the, the, the song itself when they depict what it is mean uh, to have the heart of a servant. If you are back home, I know sometimes you can be shy. I just want you to be in your seat. Not, you need not to even stand. But in your seat, reflect on these lyrics and use these lyrics as our form of prayer, as our response prayer unto the Lord and say, God, my Jesus, my Lord, let me have the heart of a servant and let me follow after you. Thank you.